We know the value of having a caddy on the golf course. Standing in the middle of the green, waving your hat in celebration for a little too long as your opponent has a putt to try to tie the match. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Definitely not that. It's reading the greens, helping you find your yardage and always ensuring you're prepared for the shot ahead. But what about a caddy for your business? Belay has your back. Belay pairs busy leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs with high-quality, US-based executive assistants to help you prioritize your time, delegate the details, and focus on what matters most. And right now, Belay is offering listeners 25% off the first month of their executive assistant subscription. Just text the word GOLF to 55123 to schedule a call. Or visit belaysolutions.com forward slash golf digest to get started today. Do more of what you love and less of what you don't with Belay Executive Assistant. For allied rivals, all roads lead to Rome and eternal glory. Hello and welcome to the Ryder Cup Radicals podcast from Rome, Italy on Sunday evening, immediately after Europe's thrilling 16 and a half to 11 and a half victory over the United States of America. You know what, boys? Some Buka boys, I was... Yeah, we were talking about being a little low energy coming in. You know, we both, we all didn't want to do this kind of thing. Some Buka boys have been going pretty hard out here in Italy. But, um, you know, just reading that scoreline, 16 and a half to 11 and a half, just gets me jazzed up. You know, what, what do you think, Shane Ryan? I thought I was going to be too tired to get mad at you, but it's all rushing back. <laughs> the rage, the rage now. Yeah, uh, look, I. <sighs> Immediate takeaways, this is what we kind of we're up to today. I think we're going to come back next week and maybe have like a longer laid-all-out podcast. Today we're just going to go 20, 30 minutes, quick takeaways. My big one is that I'm glad we got a little bit of fake drama on Sunday because this was sort of – there's a part of me that's like you look forward to this event for a very long time. And, you know, I've had a blast in Italy, so I'm not complaining, but – the on-course thing not being competitive, like the score being 9.5 to 2.5 on Saturday afternoon, it's just a downer. It is like it is a downer. Uh, and so for America to fight back a little Saturday afternoon, um, to have you know the hat gate and all this, all this stuff happen, which kind of sparks your interest. And then, again, this happens in a lot of blowout Ryder Cups, and it happened again, which is there's a little window where it seems like maybe something interesting could happen. It's never more probable than not but it's like well if this happens and this happens so there was like a little tension there on Sunday afternoon and I was grateful for that it kind of showed the Ryder Cup had a little bit of life again so I'm I'm okay I'm 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 doing fine you know shit the bag boys doing okay bag boys all right bag boys fine you're not fine you're that gift right now with the fire surrounding you uh I, I think the I think the problem is, is that this was our biggest worry coming to fruition right that no matter who won this, we just wanted a close Ryder Cup. Even with that window of hope that we had, it's still and, – and, and I will say, the, there was it did seem like a realistic pathway to victory for the United States. And yet, after that Friday afternoon when it looked like the U.S. could make it 5-3, to three, ended up being 6.5 to 1.5, this all just felt inevitable. Um, obviously, credit where credit's due. The Europeans played fantastic. 
Rory McIlroy, after having a really rough couple of years, really came to play. John Rahm was on fire. Victor Hovland's proven himself to just be a match play dynamo. Um, Tommy Fleetwood looked like the Tommy Fleetwood from Paris in 2018. But man, it this was just for an event we love so much. It it just felt like there was that manufactured drama on Saturday, and then come Sunday, yeah, it, it was interesting. But interesting doesn't really get it done when it's a five point deficit. The the thing that kills me. Um that I can't get by is look, we have so much fun analyzing this thing and looking at the tactics and the strategy. I hate the fatalism angle and the fatalism angle is it doesn't matter what you do. The home team's always going to win and it's probably going to be a blowout. And right out of the gate with a four Oh session, it was like, well, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, and I don't like that. I like the idea that these things can fluctuate. These things can change, but now we've been doing this a decade it's been the same result every single time. This is five Ryder Cups now. It's going to be the same at Bethpage, right? There's, I don't know how to change it. I don't, I'm not sure. There's like a couple solutions that are bandied around. But the biggest thing is I don't like the feeling that there is no influencing the outcome. And that's sort of how I'm feeling right now. All right. Well, well we, this can be a little like a little therapy, like le- learn to cope with loss session for you guys. I'm, I'm here for you. I know we've been workshopping this take. For the record, I'm I, 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 I actually don't really agree with this take like at all i've told shane i've told joel um i think it's undeniable that there's we're clearly in an era of like home team dominance right now and rory McIlroy, uh to your point said it in his press conference he said winning away rather cup is like the hardest thing to do in golf right now um but then the next thing he said is but we're gonna go do it at beth page and uh, i th- <laughs> yeah exactly so it is this interesting thing where, like, and it and it always manifests itself in, in foursomes. You know, that's ultimately where Europe won this thing. Yeah, they went yeah. four and zero and three and one. Uh, so that what seven to one, that six point difference accounted for for five of the points they eventually won by. So it, it is interesting. It does it does sort of make you wonder if maybe like all 12 players should play each of the days in, in both these sessions. Could that even things out? Could you just put foursomes and two batches on the Saturday, for instance, and start off with four balls, which seems to be a little more even format? Um, that said, like, I don't think it's... Even, even though it's this weird era of, like, home team blowout, home team blowout, you don't see that manifesting itself in any like lack of passion, right? Like European fans adore this Ryder Cup. This was incredible. Look at the way Rory McIlroy reacted to to winning all this. Like this is like a amazing thing for like half of the people who witness it. So even though like in theory they should have seen it coming, it, this is awesome for them. They absolutely. It's like they're just like worshiping this competition and not like going to be less excited about Beth Page, I don't think. Um, but I do think there are some... Well, I don't know. I want to get your response to that. And then I do want to break down some of the actual like tactical things yeah, that, yeah, that were... Yeah. Now, the only thing I would say is uh, there's a difference between the people who come for the party, which is the people who are attending in person, um, which is always going to be fun. And you're right. The crowds were great this time and all that. And they, they were having a blast. But that's a limited number of people compared to the people that are watching this as fans from home who are watching on TV. And from my sample size, which granted is almost mostly Americans, you know, almost, it's just not like until Sunday, until that little window on Sunday afternoon, she's kind of a downer. And most of them are like, I don't know why I would watch this instead of football now. I mean, like, so there, I mean, 
again, this is like just anecdotal, but I, I think you can only go so many times of having blowouts, home blowouts, and you can only have so many times where there's not a ton of intrigue on Sunday and, and things are kind of a slog on Saturday because it's just one-sided before... I mean, you just lose interest, and like it, it just loses allure a little bit. And that I, I don't know how that happens, but, Joel, I'm afraid it could happen. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like we talked about this coming leading into it. I even brought the question up. I think both you guys said, hey, if this happens – and Beth Page again. If it happens two years in a you know two uh, Ryder Cups in a row, maybe we'll touch that. But like I kind of feel like we're already there. Um, and, I, and weirdly, I'd feel that way. I, I was starting to feel that way even after 2021. It, it just there's no easy solution. Uh, obviously, the foursomes things right there. And this is not saying that it's not exciting. If, if you're a United, United States fan, this is going to be a really good time watching your country probably win. At one on, in a very raucous environment, it's just it, a sporting event. The outcome should be in doubt, and it's just increasingly feel like the outcome is never in doubt. You have to do everything possibly right, and golf is not a game where you can do everything right. There's going to be mistakes had. That's what just kind of worries me. Of are we are we buying in too much to the romanticism and not like paying attention to the reality? I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm completely with you. And, you know, Luke, the thing is, it's like if America had won this in the blow, well, if America had won this in the blowout, it would be a reversal of the narrative we were all afraid of. And, Joel, you wrote the piece beforehand of, like, if it's a European blowout, this is trouble. And I wrote a piece, you know, afterward being like, Ryder Cup's dead. <laughs> like, let's move on. Let's get a new gimmick. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, to some extent, though, Luke, we're, you know, you wanted Europe to win, and you're, you're enjoying it, and it – so I see your point, I guess is what I'm saying that like maybe the victory can keep sustaining itself. Um, but it was interesting. Like I, I asked the American presser cause I felt like it was fine to ask them like, you know, what's the deal here? You know? And Zach Johnson was like, we shouldn't change anything or whatever, which might be the first sign that things need to change <laughs> the greatest sign of all. And I didn't want to ask it to the European presser and I didn't cause that would be like a Debbie Downer question. Like almost like, Hey, you guys are having fun and celebrating, but it never could have been any different. So tell me about that. Like, like that would have been a, that would have been, so I asked a different question, but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess we've kind of covered this angle, right? We're just like scared for the event a little bit. I yeah, you guys are. I, I, I did say, like, um, this is a closed-loop argument that, you know, you guys were subjecting me to, where either America was going to win, and, uh-oh, trouble for the event because, like, this is the era of American dominance, but then if Europe wins, uh-oh, trouble for the event because it's just home blowouts. Like, I think, I think this, I would think that this event is actually in trouble if it looked like the President's Cup, which is just, like, America win, America win, America win. And the fact that that event is probably... St- still alive is because it's actually like america winning if it was just internationals winning 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 they would probably have killed off that event <laughs> because like americans love their winning and um so in some ways i think the seesawing back and forth is um is it, it is like important to the Ryder cup clearly players still care about it a lot um but i i it's something you've got my eye on now and and it, and i would sort of be interested in changes that said um, it is interesting that Europe had more. Uh, so let's break down some of the tactical stuff because I do think it's interesting that Europe showed up with more competitive reps down the line for its players and immediately got off to a better start, especially in an uncomfortable format. Um, they went four and zero, and 
I, that to me, among other things, seems like the biggest thing that Americans came in with five weeks off apart from three players who played one event between then and the five weeks. That kind of seemed like in some ways that was a bit of a difference maker. Absolutely. And I think when we, when we talk about how do we fix problems for the United States, some people roll their eyes because it seems like we have this discussion all the time and changes are made and then we're still back to the same question. I do think one of the first things would be some more better symmetry between the PGA of America and the PGA Tour. These are just two bodies right now that they're never really copacetic. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's only got worse since this summer with the surprise announcement. PGA of America, you know, at least officials with PGA of America feel like they kind of went on a limb with the tour with during the lift stuff. And then for this agreement to happen really threw them a curveball. Uh, you know, Phil Mickelson has aired this and this ran a lot of times, especially during the tour championship of we're playing a course that's totally dissimilar to what we'll be playing in the Ryder Cup. Um, so, yeah, even Jordan Spieth said, hey, in a perfect world, it'd be great if this was held just a week or two after the tour championship, maybe give us a week off, but that we're still fresh. Um, that being said, nothing was preventing these guys from playing in the Safeway or the <laughs> in Napa Fortnite championship. Uh, a lot of these guys could have played in the uh, BMP, GA BMW championship. I think a little bit of the onus is on them too. Um, but yeah, th- it really felt like depending how much weight you want to put into the virus kind of going through the team locker room between that and then just the lack of competitors reps. I-, I think that's, if you're looking for what happened on Friday, I think those are the first two things that jump out. Yeah. The only thing I would, the only little thing that I would throw out is that there was a big layoff before whistling straights too. And they, you know, set a record. <laughs> they, they dominated completely. So, there, yeah, there's always, again, this goes back to the fatalism thing. And it's, I'm going to become annoying. or I probably already am. But I'm like, they did the same thing last time and they dominated. You know what I mean? Nothing matters. The home team always wins. Like, I can't even focus on the details anymore. But, no, yeah, like, look, there was, there's some cool things about it. There's some things that you want to have mattered. Like, like that was one, right? Europe has a better schedule to get competitive reps. I like the thing where Luke Donald um, had his guys play three whole matches with the idea that, you know, in practice we're playing three whole matches just to emphasize how important it is to get up early. Uh, and, you know, I think in the first three sessions, Europe won the first hole in five out of 12 matches. The U.S. won the first hole in zero out of 12 matches. I think it was 10 to four by the end of it. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they did really well getting out to big leads. You know, Dodo Molinari... Obviously, like for me, that was a red flag of like, oh, you're going to go away from your major stats group and just give some guy control over it. But obviously, he's awesome at it, right? Obviously, he's really smart. And, um, you know, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick uses his system and he he had the course set up right. He clearly had the pairings right. Like he and everybody he was working with did a good job because they wouldn't have killed without that. So little things like that. They're like, yeah, they did. They did a solid job uh, on that front. I will say the, the one thing on the course setup front when we hear about what they could do to improve this, I think we've even mentioned this having an independent panel set up there. There was no no trickery. It seemed like this. In fact, if anything, they cut the rough down. It should have been an equalizer a little bit. Um, So while I think that could still be a problem, this wasn't, I don't think that what we saw was the result of course manipulation. Europeans just flat out outplayed the Americans. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I, the way I put it in the piece I wrote was like, you know, the, taking away course setup and making it neutral would be like shooting a BB gun at a fighter jet. Like it may be satisfying in some way, but it's not a solution. And it's not really going to do much. 
Um, but you know what? What, <laughs> Luke? Other than quantum physics that we're going to discover in a thousand years, what explains why this happens every time? You know, every time they're in Europe, it's like Europe makes more putts. Europe hits better shots. Like U.S. seems to lose their skill, and then the same thing happens on the other side. Like it, you know what I mean? Like is it the? It, does it ultimately come down to the crowd? Like is it some secret juju? Like what is going on? I mean, clearly the crowd is playing some role, um, like some huge role, right? Especially in an uncomfortable format, which is foursomes, which nobody ever plays. Like, when do you ever go play foursomes with your buddies? Like, no one ever does that. You're uncomfortable. It's weird. It's probably nervy. And it just helps to have, like, a crowd not at your throat during this, like, already awkward process, right? Like, that, to me, is what you kind of shine the light on, like, highlighting that foursomes record and being like, oh, yeah, it basically, like, completely correlates with the whole home team, which completely correlates with the win. But what's funny and what trips me up sometimes, too, is that if you're like, okay, yes, it always defaults to, like, the home team over the past 10 years. That's whatever moment we're in in the Ryder Cup. But when I, like, back up, and look at this Ryder Cup, I, I can, like, I feel like I see reasons, like, why America didn't win this Ryder Cup that don't have to do necessarily with home crowd, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. like, like to me, Brian Harmon <laughs> and Wyndham Clark winning both Opens and auto-qualifying for the team because of it, like, that kind of is, that. that's, like, probably, they're probably not two of your top ten best american players i don't think and they auto qualified for the team at the expense of others um you know when you look at some of the like american major winners since call it 2019 right tiger woods obviously not playing in this team because he's like kind of perpetually injured gary woodland uh, you know obviously doing health issues brooks kepka made the team um and he's won a variety of majors Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark, we talked about, made the team. They was kind of lucky, like a surprise majors between them, I think. Justin Thomas won major last year, like, but he's been in this weird slump this time around, which clearly showed at this Ryder Cup too. And so, like, the players who are actually leading the team, or Scotty Scheffler, of course, won a major, but he also has this like fatal flaw in his game that has arisen this year, which is his putting, which is exactly the most important part of playing well in a Ryder Cup. And it showed time and time again. Meanwhile, you look at the European side, you've got like John Rahm winning majors, you've got Matt Fitzpatrick winning a major. And so Rory McIlroy hasn't won a major, but he's like perpetually up there. Victor Hovland looks like he's about two minutes away from winning a major. And, you know, then you add in some like, slight tactical blunders from Zach Johnson plus the five week thing plus the virus thing and all of a sudden you're like okay yeah like six different things went uh US's way and they lost by five points um even which is funny just because again the yin and yang of like home team always wins but I do feel like there are reasons you know I feel like I just listed a bunch of reasons yeah, and that's the tough thing where you're like, well, I spot this overall trend that makes it seem inevitable. But when you look on the like the ground, you're like, well, I can see all these different. Yeah, you can spot the the patterns. And I think the thing you mentioned that just stands out to me is in the let's say the four months leading up to 
uh, Italy, you couldn't script a better reversal of form in terms of both teams. It's like all these things started happening to the U.S. where the qualifying, right? Scotty Scheffler's putting. And then meanwhile, like Europe, who had no good rookies, all of a sudden, like there's this guy coming out of nowhere who's a phenom. All of a sudden, Victor Hovland is like the best player in the world. Rory's still great. John Rahm's still great. But and their young guys are like great, you know, Hoygaard, Nikolai Hoygaard. He had a pretty good Ryder Cup. Like so, it's like this thing that seemed set in stone. America at least is going to have the better team. Wasn't even all that clear. I mean, like coming in here, it wasn't clear to me that America was the better team. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that, right? Aside from Max Homa, like no one else played particularly well this week. Well, Patrick Canley. Patrick Canley yeah, played well. Did, yeah. Canley eventually pulled out. I think actually Harmon played pretty good too for the most part. After that, it, things Pickens got slim uh, real quick. Um, but yeah, like even with listen, sometimes weeks also just don't go your way. Like despite Scotty Scheffler's putting issues, and it is worth this is now two Team USA events in a row. Scheffler is really disappointed. Even with those putting struggles, I mean, he was a mess off the tee for most of the early week. The around the around the green, the the short game wasn't great either. Um, even with that flaw, you do not expect Scotty Shuffler to score one point and Robert McIntyre to score two and a half points. It, it, it's like that alone is just mind blowing. Um, you know, McIntyre statistically did not play well in his first two matches with Justin Rose. Looks like, I mean, by the way, credit to Justin Rose. He was for for a guy who was you know one of the last guys picked on the team who's 43 years old. I thought he was maybe Europe's fifth best player um, outside, the, outside the four of Fleetwood, Hovland, Rom, Rom and uh, McElroy, just such clutch putting. But I mean, again, Bobby Mark, Bobby Mack won his singles match. So when that's happening and a guy who a couple of years ago went, came to the corn Ferry tour, the corn Ferry tour finals and failed to get his tour card. When that guy's beating the world number one in terms of points, like, Sometimes, like, it's just not your week. And I know that's, like, so radio talk show, like, you know, quick hot take. But sometimes that just is. Like, there's this perfect storm um, of things that went wrong. There was no, despite, like, reports, all the team, the team seemed like they got along really well. So, like, there wasn't any, you know, post-match mutiny or things that kind of go, oh, man, these guys just sinking along. Europe, I think, was just the better team. Yeah, and, like, uh, oh, sorry, Jane. You look like you want no, to say no, no, something. No, no, no. You're good. Keep going. No, yeah. So, yeah, I thought Europe was the best team. But if we just, like, I know this is a Ryder Cup podcast, but just for a moment, like, forget that the Ryder Cup happened and the whole home team dynamic. So I'm just going to run through the 12 players, right? Like, just, again, like, Justin Thomas has been locked in a in, in a in a deep slump. Zonda Shoffley and Patrick Canley haven't won this year, haven't had very good seasons by any real standard. Brian Harmon, I love in the interview room, but is a journeyman PGA Tour pro, right, who got hot, uh, like, incredibly hot at the, <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the Open. Um, Wyndham Clark has been hanging around Tour for a bit too, and we've all thought he's had lots of potential, but, you know, he had a pretty hot, middle of july there and i've been flagging this up for freaking months right i've said Wyndham clark i don't know if you should be like auto qualified in this team because he won two events earlier this year so i'm just like and that's just five plays again we already mentioned scotty scheffler's putter just turning into a like ice 
piece of ice um, uh, earlier this year. Uh, Jordan Spieth's game has been like up and down and sketchy. And so like that's seven of the 12 guys that like who exactly is like supposed to be really inspiring hope in me in saying like, oh yeah, you're right. Like they should clearly be better than Team Europe, which boasts this like top heavy order. So I do think there are just some general movements here that like do actually explain what what just happened. Um, and maybe uh, maybe like coincide with a home team advantage or yeah. whatever it is but i i can i can kind of it kind of makes sense to me i guess is what i'm trying to no I'm, I'm with you um you know looking at the data golf like the strokes gained um final standings is like number one victor hovland number two john rom number three rory mcelroy number four tommy fleetwood the four guys that you needed to step up the most did and they were awesome. I mean, and they deserve credit. And so there are, I'm yeah, I'm going to get away from my fatalism macro level type stuff now because it's like you do have to give those guys credit. Jordan Spieth and Wyndham Clark were the two worst players. You know, Bob McIntyre was third worst, but then it was Justin Thomas. Then it was Colin Morikawa. Like, you know, like, by the way, all the people who didn't think Justin Thomas should make the team, they kind of have some justification now. And I was always somebody who said, like, the whole time that he never should have made the team. No, I didn't. I always said it was a good move to take him because of his history in the Ryder Cup. Also, and, just to jump in, like, Colin Morikawa hasn't, hasn't won this year, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and people who are saying, like, oh, well, Bryson shot 59 and, you know, he was a, he's a recent American major winner. Well, it wasn't on the team either. So, like, and you could argue he is one of the more informed Americans right now. So, again, I think there's just countless examples of this. Yeah, and, and Morikawa was the fifth worst, again, going by the, the Daddy Golf's um, strokes gained. And it was just all Europe. But, yeah, Patrick Cantley, Max Homa, Sam Burns actually, like, had a pretty like good time. I know he lost to Rory today, but Rory's on fire. Um, and, and nobody else was in positive numbers <laughs> for the Americans. That was it. Yeah, I think... <clears throat> Again, anytime there's a loss, there's just second-guessing galore. And certainly it's the fact that Zach Johnson's captain picks were like 4-12-4, that's definitely lends itself to criticism. All due respect, you can go back. The receipts are still there. There were very few people going, oh, my gosh, there was a, a, such a big snub by Cam Young was left off. I, Ke- I mean, let's be honest. Keegan Braley, there was a little bit of outcry. I think that was most of it, though. Just people like to complain about something. And Keegan had one top 10 in a full field event since March. So it wasn't like there were these guy- obvious picks to put him in. And who's to say Keegan Braley would have played better? You know, it's. He might have played better. He wouldn't have made a difference, right? It, exactly. And again, when, when, when you're. When your top three players in terms of auto- automatic qualifiers give you absolutely nothing, you're just kind of dead in the water. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think I, – I don't think this um, – I don't think Zach Johnson put together the wrong team. I've said that I would pick Sam Burns to make Scotty Scheffler feel better, you know? Like, and I don't I – still, I still think that was a pretty solid idea. Um, I said countless times – Brian Harmon and Wyndham Clark are guys you would like to pick, not guys you'd like to muscle out of the team, you know, because they also qualified. Um, but yeah, like, I just don't see a team full of guys in form and, and, and whose games are moving in the right direction. And then when I look at the next men in, potentially, I see, like, I don't see Cam Young as a guy who was trending into form or Tony Finau, who is a guy trending into form or whatever. Like, and, and maybe it was Bryson, but there's team issues there. So I... There was a general direction of travel here, I think, individually with a lot of these U.S. players that just kind of got intensified in a Ryder Cup 
and or you know the the microscope just got pulled on it in a mic in a in a Ryder Cup environment. And at the end of the day, the top three players in the field who are also playing well played the best, right? Um, before we're like I said, we're gonna keep this rather quick by our standards today. But before we go, let's talk quickly about uh, Hatgate because it was just such a huge story. And uh, so on Saturday afternoon, this this <clears throat> pardon me, this news report drops from Jamie Weir that Patrick Cantley is not wearing his hat as a protest because he thinks Ryder Cup players should be played. There are huge fractures in the team room. He and Xander Shoffley are off by themselves in the corner of the locker room. They wouldn't attend the gala dinner. What am I missing? What else is there? Um, That's basically it, right? That was the gist. Um, The report stated that Patrick Cantley wanted to get paid to play in the Ryder Cup and thus refused to wear a hat as a kind of form of protest and didn't attend the gala dinner as a kind of protest. protest. Right. Well, according to the U.S., it comes out that, you know, the hat is because he doesn't want a tan line for the wedding. It has nothing to do with it. He he and Xander are not by themselves. You know, this is the response from Team USA. We're not saying it's true or it's false or whatever. But And the gala dinner thing was he wasn't feeling that well. And someone else, like Ricky, also didn't go. So this was bizarre. And and what was bizarre about it is that it led the crowd to heckle Patrick Cantley about his hat. Uh, And... uh, that was became such a tense affair, and it's already tense in Ryder Cups, that clearly he and his caddy, Joe Lecov, were pissed off um, by the time they got to the 18th green Saturday afternoon. And when Patrick Cantley hit that 43-foot putt, which was you know the moment of the whole weekend for the Americans, when he hit that, it caused such an emotional catharsis that Lecov kind of went out of his mind and did something that really no caddy should do and pissed Rory off, and Rory started yelling at him. Shane Lowry started yelling. Justin Rose, it led to this big fracas. And then in the lock, or in the, uh, the car park, as they say here, in the parking lot, Rory McIlroy started screaming at Bones, which, you know, he laughed and said today, Bones was the first guy I saw, first American I saw in the locker room, so he took the brunt of it. But it created, and then that created this whole storyline, and all the Americans not wearing the hats, all because of this report that... Sorry, like, I don't know. Like, we nobody knows how true it is. Any of it. I mean, Joel, give me your takes on this. This is like, this is really, really something. I mean, it was awesome because at that point, the the whole day felt dead, right? Um, I thought it was interesting in the sense that, you know, I'm trying to think of the best way to, <laughs> nicest way to put this. Uh, it was pretty... The report was pretty vehemently shut down by the American players, right? And Patrick Cantley, I think it's pretty well documented, is probably not the most popular guy on the PGA Tour. I think, though, over the past year and a half, maybe his reputation has taken some unfair knocks at times. And to for Pat Cantley to respond the way he did, um, I honestly gained a lot more respect for him. I, I thought he could have really went a lot harsher in his responses afterwards, um, both Saturday and Sunday. And for a guy who I think we've kind of knocked for maybe being a little emotionless at times to kind of mind the hat tip afterwards, it was kind of cool to see him just really, Hey, if you're going to give this to me, I'll, I'll, I'll give it right back. Um, and man, one of, one of the photo of the week was photos of the week. I should say was seeing all the American players tip their caps to him after that putty made on 18, Followed immediately by Joe LaCava, like, challenging the entire European team to a fight, uh, which it was such a weird, like, five minutes of content. Uh, made even weirder as more videos kind of came out about LaCava. So, uh, it was weird, though. That being said, and, and you guys can back me up if I'm wrong, 
it never felt mean though to Cantley. Like people were definitely having fun of his expense. It never quite seemed to the extent of like Hazeltine, how the fans treated Rory and Danny Willett. It seemed like it was more in jest. Like even people kind of knew this was like a ridiculous possible report, and they still just kind of had fun with it rather than really, you know, get get dark with it. Um, and I, and, I, and I think that was kind of it was more ridiculous than something that you took as like hard news. Does that makes sense, or am I, is that just my interpretation? No, that was my read too, for sure. That it was more like Hazeltine, man. Hazeltine had like an edge, you know, like a really nasty mm-hmm. kind of scary edge for a European. Um, like like a threatening undertone is the best way I can describe it. For this didn't feel like that at all. That said. It doesn't necessarily matter how it was, which I think that's how it was, but when you're like Team USA and specifically Patrick Cantlay and you're pissed off and you're losing and you're tired and it's hot Mm -hmm. and every single hole, everybody's like waving their hat at you and sharing your missed putts, like you're just fucking pissed off, right? Like there's no other way, like so, and yeah, that kind of, Patrick Cantlay, I thought handled himself like truly like impressively from like that point on like the way he answered questions and he was bombarded with questions about it in the media afterwards and handled all of them like in a pretty like straightforward way i think the reporting is still kind of unfolding in terms of like you know how how much like what exactly went on here you know um but i thought he he celebrated like he handled the crowd well. He celebrated pretty normally. The fact that his car, that his caddy, um, kind of lost his mind a little bit there in terms of just like, <laughs> just like standing in the middle of the green, waving his hat, like in the middle of the field of play, as like Rory McIlroy and and Matt Fitzpatrick were lining up two putts to tie, and then and then turned to Rory McIlroy and started going at him when Rory McIlroy told him to move. And then turned around and yelled at another European player who told him to move. I mean, it was just like, listen, we've all like just spiraled, I think. But that's clearly what happened. I was just dying because when I whoever tweeted the like the longer clip from a different angle, it's like watching an old man in a bathrobe like wander into the street, <laughs> like and just like shout at the car. It's like, what's he doing? What's that guy doing right now? He can't be there. He can't be there. So yeah, it was. It was like it, it was insane. Like Joel, you put it well. Like five minutes of just bizarre content. <laughs> It's like it's it's such a we're gonna look back to ten years and go remember that weirdness like and everything like Rory screaming at Bones in the in the parking lot I mean Shane Lowry like putting Rory in the car it, it's just so funny Cobb is like Tiger Woods' former caddy like very like straightforward like <laughs> you know like you know trusted voice caddy everything but like but the, except for this like five minutes not even five minutes freaking like fifteen second snippet of his career it's like he like just went bonkers he turns into the I'm mad as hell guy from the movie like I'm mad as hell (laughs) I I love the idea that he was like somehow texted by Tiger like hey you gotta get the 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 boys alive a little bit And, uh, and then to like double down on it this morning NBC leads the broadcast off by 
hey, <laughs> they met this morning. You know, it's all cool. And then Rory goes, "That's the, I never met Joe. So, like, it just doubled. It was such an odd – it was so ridiculously dumb and beautifully dumb in a way that, like, I feel like no one actually got hurt that it, it's <laughs> – I think, honestly, I'll probably leave that. It was one of the my lasting memories of the Ryder Cup. That and – and I'm more serious that the other thing that really kind of stuck with me was Scheffler kind of being broke down to the yeah. tears. Um, well, just the idea, like, you know, Rory obviously had this in 2021, and you can make an argument that was one of the more, you know, in terms of moments you think about uh, Wilson and Straits, I think Bryson driving the green on one on Sunday, um, just kind of the overall dominance of Dustin Johnson, how good Shoffley and Cantley were that week. But that McElroy interview, I think, really encapsulated why people love the Ryder Cup. But even that was kind of after the fact of he had won his match. It was the over. This was a guy like breaking down in the middle of the tournament. Um, and it was, again, Scheffler has been very open. You know, he, at the after he won the Masters, he, you know, admitted, hey, I, I broke down in tears this morning just because I was overwhelmed at the gravity of the situation. Um, but I was also just super impressed because, he was still out there, you know, like so many guys on both teams when they lose, sometimes just want to get away. And I think it makes sense. Sometimes you just need to get your head cleared that Scheffler like couldn't control his emotions and yet like didn't hide. It was just a really cool, you know, I guess for me is like, we love the Ryder cup despite, <laughs> despite how we might be feeling right now. Uh, we love it. And sometimes though, I wonder if the players love it as much as us and to see that they do, it's just one of the beautiful parts of this event to me yeah and with Scheffler it was like a, a little bit about his play and I'm sure it was a little bit about the breakdown of the team too just the sort of reality of where they were at that moment like screwed you know um yeah you said it perfectly um I don't know we want to wrap up here 36 minutes let's uh let's call I mean we're we're all either traveling Italy or leaving Italy so we'll be gone for a week you know like I said we'll come back for a longer thing but yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun on the course for me. Less fun for you guys. Um, much less fun for some of the some of the players out there for sure. But yeah, been great fun in Italy. And and as Shane said, we're gonna do a proper deep dive into everything that went on. And probably turn it into like two. I kind of like the idea of doing two like really long podcasts about it. Um, but. We'll, we'll, we'll hush that out. Either way, thanks for thanks for listening. Congratulations to Team Europe, and we'll catch you next time.